Jesus says, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. No right or wrong answers to this question. When you think of watching, there are all sorts of things you can do. You can watch birds, you can watch the sunrise, you can watch your nieces and nephews. What comes to mind for you? Any thoughts? No watching here? Football. Football. <laughs> I like that. I'm on board with that. Other things you watch. I confess that for better or for worse, what comes to mind for me when I think of watch is Netflix. And I've been watching for the last couple of months this show called Blacklist. And like lots of shows on Netflix, it's not particularly bad, but it's not particularly good either. And it's just cliffhanger after cliffhanger that gets you to try to watch another episode. And I noticed in the last couple of weeks this kind of odd phenomenon. Every once in a while, I'll decide for a couple of days, you know, I'm not going to watch any Netflix for a few days, and I'll use that time for something else. And on the days when I do watch this show, the characters are kind of plastered in the back of my mind. Their faces are always there, I'm wondering what's happening to them, although I'm three seasons in and I still have no idea what's happening to them. And on the days when I'm not watching this show, I forget about it entirely. It's like it never existed. And this is what happens with things that don't satisfy us. When we reach for them, they keep leaving us empty and wanting us to reach again because we're not satisfied. And when we leave them alone, we just forget about them, because they're not that good. Life is joyfully full of small and beautiful and good things. Jesus wants us to watch, to be attentive for when he is coming through those things, or we'll miss them, and we'll miss him. Jesus wants to make us aware of our experiences, to help us to watch, so that we can recognize what's good and choose it. If we're not conscious of the good, there's a much smaller likelihood that we're going to be able to choose what's good, and to do what's good. When we're in a fog like that, we often get ourselves in trouble. A great way, in particular in Advent, to kind of cultivate this vision is the practice of a daily exam or an examination of conscience. Uh, in the writings of St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits, the exam isn't just for becoming aware of your sins and your shortcomings over the course of the day. It's also for becoming aware of what graces God has given, what help he's offered, and asking for new help and new light in the coming day. I'm not going to say much more about that, but if that's something you're interested in, in particular as an Advent practice, there are all sorts of resources online, including an app called Exam. E-X-A-M-E-N. But we have to be attentive for these joyful things. Isaiah points them out. He wants to imagine them. He says, you, God, wrought awesome deeds we could not hope for. These things God is doing 
our imaginations can be so contracted or small that we don't even see what God's doing because we don't think it's possible. No ear has ever heard, nor I seen, any God but you doing such deeds for those who wait for him. And God wants to open our eyes to these joyful things, both to prompt joy in us, that's what it is primarily, but it's also a warning, because it's real. We can fill our lives with all sorts of things that might be good in a limited way, but don't really fill us up and don't really satisfy us. Cheap thrills, alcohol, trashy Netflix shows. When we watch them, when we take those things, they always leave us wanting. And when we skip them, we don't want for anything, because they just weren't that great to begin with, and we're made for greatness. So a challenge and an encouragement for this week. Here's the challenge. Identify, discern what brings lasting joy, and skip what doesn't. Easier said than done. Here's the encouragement. The work of watching, being attentive to the world, and examining ourselves, if it were mainly our work, it would be awful. Because being attentive is hard, and sometimes when we look in the mirror, we don't love what we see. If it were just us examining ourselves, it would crush us. But we have the gaze of a merciful father. If we were left to our own devices, we would get a kind of existential screen fatigue. But the psalm says, Lord, let us see your face, and we shall be saved. His gaze opens up ours. And wherever we are at this point, at the beginning of Advent, a year when you might have recovered some really good habits, or a year when you could have picked up a lot of bad habits, it's been a strange year, we're always open and moldable for the Lord. Nothing's beyond Him. Which is why Isaiah says, Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay and you the potter. We are the work of your hands. To conclude, somebody who's been a real witness to me of what it means to have eyes that are open and awake to what's beautiful in life uh, is a character in a novel uh, called Gilead by Marilyn Robinson. And it's this elderly Protestant minister, John Ames, writing to his young son, who he knows will most likely grow up without him. And he says at one point, I feel sometimes as if I were a child who opens its eyes on the world once and sees amazing things it will never know any names for, and then has to close its eyes again. I know this is all mere apparition, compared to what awaits us, but it is only lovelier for that. There is a human beauty to it. And I can't believe that when we have all been changed and put on incorruptibility, we will forget our fantastic condition of mortality and impermanence, the great bright dream of procreating and perishing that meant the whole world to us. In eternity, this world will be troll, I believe, and all that has passed here will be the epic of the universe.
the ballad they sing in the streets, because I don't imagine any reality putting this one in the shade entirely, and I think piety forbids me to try.